Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physiomemes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. In this episode, we talk with Kevin, who is the founder of Med School Insiders, and he is a uh, medical doctor. So we had the opportunity to talk more with him about the importance of mental health and how that goes beyond our identity. That was a big key in this episode. And he actually has created a platform, which is called Save Our Doctors, and it is absolutely incredible it's just raising awareness about suicide prevention. Yeah, and this is all about how the culture of grad school, like health profession, grad school programs needs to change in order to create an environment that is like more conducive to mental health and taking care, like creating an environment where people aren't overworked and burnt out and tired and completely exhausted and don't take care of themselves quite honestly. And so we chat a lot about that and study habits and oh my gosh, so many things you guys hope you enjoy Kevin Jabal in this episode. Sounds good. So welcome to another episode of gratitude, everybody. Today we have a little bit of a different episode for you. We have um, somebody who's not necessarily in the PT world, but it's going to be so great to hear from. So Kevin, welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, of course. We're so excited. So for the listeners who maybe haven't heard of your YouTube channel or haven't seen what you do with Med School Insiders, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and Med School Insiders? Sure. So I guess most people that, that find me nowadays usually know me through this YouTube channel called Med School Insiders or a, my second channel, which is just my name, um, which is also kind of closely tied to Med School Insiders. So essentially I started this channel when I was a fourth year in medical school. And the reason being, I felt like, you know, when I saw these, these, um, these YouTube videos about study strategies, I didn't fully agree with them. And I wanted someone to, I wanted people to know what worked for me because it was different than what worked for other people apparently. Um, so I started this YouTube channel and said, hey guys, you know, this is what I learned over you know, four years of undergrad, four years of med school, I learned that I was studying totally the wrong way when I was a college student. And what I learned in medical school, I kind of wish that I knew back as a pre-med. So that's kind of how things took off. I said, hey, let me teach people what I wish I knew sooner. And it's kind of grown from there. I love that. But, you know, people always want to get ahead of the game. And I'm sure a lot of your students as well, like, they love that you started this because think of all the people who wouldn't have been influenced by you if you hadn't, you know, taken that leap. So I think that's incredible. It's, it's, it's truly, it's truly a privilege to have people watching my videos because 
it's, it's a, it's a good learning process for me too. Like I get the feedback. I say, Hey, you know, people say, Hey, you know, Kevin, this, this video was great. However, um, I kind of prefer this older style or like, can you answer this question or that? And it really helps me learn as well because part of this is like me pursuing my own nerdy interests. Like I, I made a video about like music and studying because I've always heard different things. I was like, what does the, the research actually have to say? So I'll like go do a deep dive, spend a couple of days reading dozens of, you know, primary literature articles and then summarize it for the viewers because it's kind of a question that a lot of us want to know the answer to. Yeah. And real quick, I'm curious if you want to just give a brief little like few sentences that about that and then people can go to watch the full video. But I'm actually really curious about music and studying. <laughs> Great question. So. What I was always told is that classical music, specifically Mozart, is great when you're studying it. It somehow can make you know, kids even smarter, right? If, you, if they listen early enough. So I remember when I was in elementary school, my like, I don't know, fifth grade teacher would regularly play Mozart during our, our study sessions. And I kind of just grew up believing that because when, you, when you're a kid, you don't question it. But then when I looked at the literature, there's actually no substantial evidence to say that listening to Mozart or any classical music will improve your IQ or is necessarily better than any other kind of music. So the take home message is essentially listen to music. First of all, that you enjoy, that you prefer, you should be in control of the music. So, you know, if you're going to a, if, if you're going to a, a study environment that has music playing and it's too loud, that may actually be more distracting. So you should be in control of the music. Um, generally without vocals is better. Having, having lyrics in the songs can be more distracting. Um, and then I gave some recommendations as to music that has helped me, like the actual, it's like kind of like chill music, like some um, chill step or like, like deep house, things like that. But for everyone, it's kind of different. Yeah, that's so cool. And uh, yeah, that was a little side note for everybody. But yeah, check out more of that video um, on the YouTube channel. But so going into uh, currently, what are you doing right now? Great question. So last year I was doing plastic surgery residency and then I, I left. Um, so I'm no longer clinically active. So what I focus on now is essentially medical education and med tech. That's essentially um, like medical devices. So those are my two areas of interest right now. So medical insiders being one of those projects. And then we have a few other projects in the works, um, but I can't get into too many details there. Understandable, understandable. And for the people who don't know about the origin of like, why did you start Med School Insiders and how did it start? Um, so it really just started as, as the YouTube channel. So October 2016, um, that was the origin and it's expanded since then. And what we're really trying to do is empower a, a future generation of doctors to be happier and healthier and, and more effective. So there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about that I feel like so many people that go into medicine or healthcare professions, whether that's PT, nursing, anything, they have these, you know, these great like aspirations and they want to help people, right? They, they go in for the best intentions, but I feel like the system is, is broken in a lot of ways, not only the education system, but even the medical system, which is a whole discussion in and of itself. So what I try to do with medical insiders is, Anytime you have a problem, there's two sides to address. And num number one, you can try to fix the actual system and say, okay, the medical education system is broken. Let's change that. Now, if you were to rely on that as being the only solution, then good luck. That's going to take several years to have any meaningful change. That's just the way things work when it's large bureaucratic, you know, 
large institutions, they don't change overnight. So if you can instead help students to live more effectively, be more efficient, study more effectively so that they don't have to spend as much time studying, then everyone is actually better off. So in, in college, how can you, you know, spend, like do more active learning, spend less time studying and, and have a healthy balanced life. Same thing in medical school. How can you do well in your rotations and, you know, still survive the sleep deprivation and still be healthy and not, you know, not be burned out, not go crazy. And in residency, same thing. So each step of the process, and I'm sure this is very analogous to PT, you know, school and, and afterwards, um, how can we make students more successful at each stage? Yeah. yeah. You know, I was gonna say, you want to say it? <laughs> oh no, you're fine. I, I absolutely love that. And I just love what you said about having medical students study in a efficient way and, you know, implement healthy habits. So they're not burning out because burnout is a hot word in, in just the healthcare profession right now, especially with graduate students. And it's important to, to know that. And for, you know, even if you keep hearing it, like you need to hear this because people still think that they have to study hours and hours and sacrifice their uh, mental health and their uh, physical health and just everything about them because that's their identity. They don't think they're anything else. Okay. So, great, great point. Yeah. Uh, I sorry. Think I didn't mean you to good. Oh, you're good. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I had some, some, uh, some responses to two things you said, if that's cool. Um, so number one, the, the, the whole discussion of burnout, a lot of, it's kind of complicated because burnout, the actual issue isn't necessarily students doing something wrong. It's a lot of it is a systemic issue. And you see people saying, like, oh, it's not burnout, it's, called, it's moral injury, whatever. I understand the importance of semantics, but at the same time, you know, complaining that it's not your fault and not doing anything about it, that doesn't help you. So with burnout, part of it is taking responsibility. And it doesn't mean fault. So taking responsibility does not mean that it is your fault that you are burnout or that the system is so broken, but it empowers you to do something about it. So when it comes to how do you handle burnout, I think that's just as important to discuss as how do you, how do we systemically change the system to reduce burnout? So that's number one. And then number two, a lot of students like one of the most common myths that you like people are just told ever since they're young is the harder you work, the better you will do in school. That is not true. One of the biggest realizations I had was by choosing one day a week and focusing on just like my mental health, whether that meant, you know, like exercising more or hanging out with friends, whatever it, whatever mental health to me meant at that moment in my life, by focusing on that one day a week, usually a Saturday or a Sunday, the rest of my week, I was actually more effective. So I could study less time, like spend less time studying and get just as good, if not better grades because of the quality of my studying, the, the, the ability for me to deeply focus was much improved. So those are the two things I just wanted to state. And this is something that we talk about all the time. I love what you just said. Like we wanna echo that back out to all the students who are listening because it's important for you to have quality study first and foremost, and to take control of your burnout or like whatever you're feeling, like do something about it. And yeah, it's, it's different than saying, oh, it's my fault that I'm burnt out. It is more of a systemic thing, but you can do things about it. And that's what we're here to tell you guys. Yeah. And the other, the other myth that people believe is like 
but I have to study hard because I'm just not as smart. It's not because you're smart or not. It's because of your study habits. That's, that's the truth of it. And when you actually look at the literature, what does work, active recall, practice questions, you know, things like that versus just reading notes again and again. I mean, I was guilty of that. I had terrible study methods in college. And then it wasn't until medical school that I was forced to improve them. And I got really passionate about, okay, how can I optimize every minute of my life? And then I was able to get better marks and spend even less time studying, which just seemed so counterintuitive. I want to go into that a little bit because I know, I know the whole purpose we came on this call, we had a slightly different purpose, but I want to go down this rabbit hole of what helped you change, like when you change your study habits, what helped you the most in medical school? Um, getting away from passive learning. So for me, taking notes in class, I would, you know, have a document or PowerPoint and I would take notes in the comment section or just on my, you know, word processing document. And then to study, I would just review it again and again and again, which is a terrible way to study. And instead what I did was number one, uh, use flashcards. My favorite program is Anki, very, very popular amongst language learners and medical students. And number two was even when I was, rather than just reviewing the notes, I would do something called condensed notes or summaries where I would actually ask myself questions and then I would synthesize the information from what I learned. So I would say, okay, let me make a table comparing these three things that would be easily confused. So then I would take these three conditions, these three diseases, make a table. And there's not necessarily instructions on how to do that, but you, it's kind of a skill that you can, you can build. And now you're incorporating more active learning. And now you're, you're understanding the information more deeply rather than just memorizing it in the same order that you were taught it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, it's good hearing other perspectives too, because there's always other ways to study. And it's sometimes if you have something that you've been going, um, you've been using like a study method you've been using for a year, then if things are not translating into the grades that you're, you're getting and the amount of time that you're putting in, something's not matching up, then it's okay to try new things. And what you said with making a table and you know, especially all the, all the stuff that we learn uh, in school, it's complicated. And sometimes like synthesizing that down to a table is going to be what you're going to um, understand from that. So I think that's, that's awesome. And that's a really good way. Okay. So another, another thing that, that what you just said reminded me of um, when it comes to like learning styles, so experimentation is key. I totally agree. What some students will tell me is like, oh, but I'm a visual learner. Oh, but I'm an auditory learner. Oh, but I'm like, I'm a kinesthetic learner. And therefore I, ha I cannot do what you just suggested. If you look at the recent literature on this topic, it's been busted. That, that's a myth. There is no such thing as saying, oh, I'm a visual learner. Therefore, if I, like they, they allowed students to say, hey, whatever type of learning you associate with, you can prioritize that form of learning. But there was no actual benefit to them doing that. What instead showed the, the highest yield, the best results, the, the most drastic improvements was doing the tried and true methods, things that focus on active learning, act, active recall, things like that. Yeah, I really love that because, I mean, you've obviously done a lot of research on study habits and like we're, we're just now getting into that. And I love that we're getting to hear from you and all the students listening get to hear that because they don't have to do the work and look into it. <laughs> they can hear from this episode what is 
proven to work. And especially for PT students, I would do this with, we call them Fiona's. They're like the function, the insertion, the origin, the action, the nerve, and the artery um, for all the muscles. And I would do this and go through, you know, you have your upper, you have the like glutes, which ones do external rotation, which ones do internal rotation, etc. This works. This is, works wonders. So do this, yeah, guys. Absolutely. And, and, and I just want to, uh, you know, you know, restate that I, I totally agree with Gabby. Um, you should experiment. So even though there are some tried and true study methods that are proven to work, there's still nuance in how you actually use them and how you implement those, those strategies. So experiment there, but don't get too caught up in like, oh, I'm this type of person and having this identity that, oh, I can only learn from X, Y, or Z. Like if your friend is using a new anatomy app, that's how I found some really cool apps actually. actually. Um, you know, a friend, you know, has their iPad and is like the super cool 3D anatomy. I'm like, oh, what's that? And then they tell me how they use it to study. And I said, that's, that's brilliant. And that was one of the, the best tools for me to learn anatomy. Did you use complete anatomy? I need to pull up my iPad. It's been so long. Um. <laughs> okay. We're not like affiliates or anything like that. No. I'm just curious because that's what we use all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have complete anatomy 20. I have essential anatomy 5. I have visible body atlas. Um, I feel like each year, like there's new apps coming out and then like one is better than the other. So I would always kind of be like bouncing around to figure out which one was best at that time. Yeah, we love complete. And I, I, I use it and I know that's helpful. Like all of those apps, but find what works best for you. And if there's one that it's more user-friendly or you can just know, um, and it's a better study tool, then, then use that. So there are so many options out there, which is so awesome. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit, we, we did touch on it, and I wanted to know more about uh, what your initiative is with um, Save Our Doctors. And this was, uh, you know, I heard about it recently, and Sarah told me about it. But once I um, kind of researched it more, and I watched your video, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know any of those statistics. And it's something that needs to be addressed. So if you want to go a little uh, more into that, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. So, so there's this huge issue in medicine with burnout, depression, and suicide. And depending on the study you look at, um, physicians have some of the highest rates of suicide, um, either like number one, number two, again, depending on the study you look at. And for most people who are in you know, the healthcare field, that isn't as surprising, but I was shocked to see how many people outside of medicine had no idea. And in fact, the response was almost like, why are you guys burned out and depressed? Like, you guys should be happy. You're doctors. It's not, isn't that what you guys work so hard to become? Or don't you guys make good money? Like, why are you guys complaining? You know, it's like, oh, this must be a millennial issue. You guys are just complaining once again. Um, but it's really a huge issue. And there's systemic reasons as to why it has is ballooned to the issue that it is today. So what I realized was, you know, most people in the healthcare industry acknowledge that this is a big problem, but it's really hard to do anything about it. It's just, it's a huge issue. Where do you even start? And I had this eureka moment where I was like, wait, by me just complaining about it and talking about it, but not doing anything about it, I'm not really contributing in any way. And if I have a platform like Med School Insiders and we have some reach, then shouldn't I at least try to do something? So that's why we created the Save Our Doctors campaign. And what we're trying to do is essentially raise awareness for this issue and 
help raise funds to allow students and, and other people, whether they're residents or they don't have to be a, you don't have to be a doctor or a student. If you're just passionate about this issue and want to do something about it and you have an idea, we want to raise the funds in order to help you make that idea a reality. So have like a little pilot program at your school. Say, hey, we're doing this thing to reduce burnout. We're going to try this. We'll, we'll give you some money and let's see what happens. Let's see if we, can, if we can raise awareness, if we can try different initiatives, if we can experiment and see what are viable and feasible options. I love that. And what inspired you to start it? So when I was in residency, um, it was like a short period, I believe seven months, three of my, three people at my program who were all residents had committed suicide. And the response, um, this has nothing to do with my program in, in particular. Every program in the US is, you know, has people who have committed suicide and they all respond in the same way. And it's kind of a systemic issue because you're incentivized as a institution to kind of brush it under the rug. You don't want a huge, it gets too much publicity, then essentially makes your hospital look bad because then people are thinking, wait, you know, why do I want to get my patient care there? Their people are burned out and unhappy. They're committing suicide. And you don't want medical students or trainees to know because, okay, then they won't want to come and train here with us. So the, the incentive is essentially just brushed under the rug. And that's a, that's a huge issue because as this problem grows, there's, there's people don't even know it's, it's occurring. That's why most people outside of medicine have no idea. So that's really what, what kind of triggered that. I was really frustrated. I made, I made some videos about um, how frustrated I was about how these things are handled and it, it happens everywhere. And you see, you see these like, you see it more on social media or on Reddit rather than in actual news articles or news journals because the, they just want to brush it under the rug and for it to get out would be bad for the institution. So again, no, no, no institution in particular is, is like guilty of this. It's more of a systemic issue um, that we need to address. And what do you think would be a possible solution? So step one is awareness. And that's why we started Save Our Doctors. So right now it is a it's kind of like umbrellaed underneath Med School Insiders, but we're working on creating a nonprofit for it to be a standalone. Um, creating a nonprofit, unfortunately, takes uh, several months. Um, so step one is awareness. And in terms of step two, that's, it's kind of hard to answer because I don't think anyone can really point to one or two things to change that would solve the issue. What I see as a, a major overlying, overarching factor is that Residents and residency and med medical trainees, you know, beyond just MDs, are treated as cheap labor more so than as people that need to learn. Like their education isn't prioritized, but their ability to do work for cheap is. And I think if we address that, then everything else is going to fall into place. Yeah, that that is like crazy what you just said transitioning and making it a nonprofit, this is going to hopefully like raise more awareness that you don't have to cover it up. And I know there's, you know, like you said, with hospitals and institutions, but something has, something has to change with it. And so, um, you're, you're that first step. And I just, I'm so glad that you guys are starting that initiative. And there's, there's a lot of other people who are also passionate about this and are taking other ways, other avenues to, um, to raise awareness or, or do something about it. And one name that comes up a lot is Pamela Weibel. And she has a TED talk about this or TEDx or TED talk, I'm not sure. 
Um, she has a book. She's also very passionate about this issue. Um, so if, if anyone does want to learn more, I'd also point, I'd point them you know, to Save Our Doctors, but also to Pamela's work as well. Yeah. And for the people who are listening, how can they help? So with Save Our Doctors, there's essentially three ways to get involved. Number one, um, help spread awareness. So we have a hashtag. It's hashtag Save Our Doctors. Um, so post that on social media, you know, talk about this issue. Let's raise awareness. It's going to be an annual thing. We're going to do this every year moving forward. Um, so that's number one. Number two is if you're willing and able, donate to the cause. One of the reasons we're transitioning to a nonprofit is when you are a nonprofit, it's, it's a lot easier to raise funds. Um, so, you know, at the beginning, we're going to, we are relying on some crowdsourcing and, and with time, we want to get some larger institutions to really help pitch in. Um, but every dollar counts. So if you're willing and able, definitely donate to the, to the cause. And then number three is if you have an idea as to what we can do, if you have a proposal that you would like to submit, then go ahead and submit it. The way Save Our Doctors works is it's a video contest. And I probably should have stated this earlier, but essentially you submit a brief video explaining your idea and then the public can vote on it. And then the top most voted for proposals, they go to our judges. And there's a team of judges, all like, you know, uh, people who work in healthcare and Together, we pick the winners. And, you know, this year we have one winner. The next year we're hoping to have three winners. And we award them the funds to then carry out their proposal or their idea. And then we follow up with them in six months and say, hey, how did it go? What did you learn? What would you like to share with, you know, the people? And if you're able to answer this question, um, what are some of the proposals you've had so far? They are they're actually very wide ranging. Um, I... To, to not do a disservice to any of the, the contestants or the people who submitted proposals, um, I, would, I would suggest that people go to the website and you can actually view. They're all still viewable. They're all links to YouTube videos that people have uploaded. Um, and they're all short. I think it's like two or three minutes or less per video. Um, so you can find the proposals there. Yeah, that, that's really awesome. And you said you haven't picked a winner for this year yet? No, we are currently in the judging process right now. Okay. And um, when do you officially announce the, um, announce the student? We don't have a date, but I'm expecting either at the end of this month or early September. Oh, wow. So, so coming up really soon. Yeah. Yeah, so real soon. If you guys are interested, definitely check out uh, the YouTube videos and we'll, you know, we'll put all the links in the show notes of where you can find those. But yeah, I'm excited to, to watch them and just to kind of see what, uh, what students have as um, ideas and see where it goes. Yeah, it's really incredible what people are, are submitting because I, I think with the problem this big, it's not just a matter of one person sitting down or even a small team of people sitting down and thinking really hard what they can do. It's about crowdsourcing the ideation process. How can we get, there's so many brilliant minds out there. How can we all learn from each other, all share ideas so that we can ultimately come to a more effective conclusion than if we were just working in isolation. So that's what we're trying to do. Start this dialogue, get people talking about it, sharing ideas, and hopefully it will benefit everyone in the end. I'm excited to see where this goes in the future because it is a huge issue and it is a huge issue for medical students and graduate health professions as well um, because this, I don't know if I can say this about my school specifically, I'll just say generically, um, you hear stories about grad students 
committing suicide on campus and it's always around finals week for what I've heard so far. And there's clearly a problem. There's clearly, clearly a connection um, with what they're going through. And for med school in your experience, what kind of support did you guys have? Um, in terms of the support, uh, our school had a lot of opportunities for counseling and things like that if you needed it. Um, I think a lot of my classmates were also just such incredible individuals that were so willing to, you know, give out a helping hand. Um, I, I couldn't really discuss at length what those, those different support options are. I think that's very important. But then kind of going back to, you know, if, if people are very stressed during finals, that's, that's understandable, but is there a way to, there's two sides of it. One, one side is sometimes you need, you know, professional support and, and these opportunities that are very important. But then on, on the other hand, how can you avoid being so stressed out during finals week? Are there ways for you to manage your time better before finals week or even during finals week? Are there ways for you to study more effectively that finals are less stressful? And as weird as this sounds, I actually enjoyed the tests and in my training because it became like a game for me to see how good I could do. How, how can I keep tweaking my system? How can I keep improving what I was already doing and, and seeing where it took me? So there's, you know, tests and school doesn't have to be this scary, like negative experience. It can be a very positive experience, both in, in enjoying the process, but also like the, the lessons you learn and what you get out of it long-term. Oh, wow. I love that. And um, we recently did an episode and, pretty much said um, very similar to what you just said and enjoying the process and not um, not negating exams and associating it with something negative. No, granted, we all have, you know, exams where we don't do as well and we, you know, get down on ourselves, but it's the matter of how, what are you going to change and learn from that, but just making it fun. Like, like you said, making it a game. I think that really helps, especially in, you know, midterms and finals week when those come up and setting yourself up beforehand so uh, you do have more cushion when it comes to finals week because then you do feel less stressed and you're like, okay, well, I worked hard the first half of the semester and, you know, I have some leeway with if I don't do as well, it's, it's not going to hurt me and be detrimental to my grade and passing. Absolutely. What is the, what's the test that you guys have to take to get into PT school? Ah, see, I wish it was more specific. It should be. See, here we're going back to the system. Um, it's the GRE. Oh, just the, okay. Interesting. It's just the GRE, um, which is very frustrating for a lot of pre-physical therapy students because you, we're not required to have any math in undergrad. And obviously the GRE is math and vocab. So it's very difficult for a lot of people to try to review like high school math and yeah, understandably so. to get into PT school. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I did not know that. I thought I, I kind of just assumed um, I'm, I'm absolutely no expert on PT training at all. I, I assume that you guys had something similar to the MCAT for, for PT school. I wish. Yeah, we I, should. I, hopefully something will change. But yeah, GRE is still in place. And that's why schools really, most schools look, I would think, look at the whole applicant because focusing on, you know, that GRE and GPA, yeah, that's, that's really important. However, there's other aspects like in med school to your application. Um, and yeah, so it's the GRE. And then at the end of your third year, you take the uh, licensure exam, which is the national physical therapy examination. 
and and those are the board exams and then as long as you pass that you're uh practicing uh physical therapist got it so i'm not sure what the gre studying and testing experience is like because i haven't personally taken it but i remember for the mcat i studied with my two roommates and both of them after it was done they're like oh my god i'm so glad that's over i'm going to go burn my books i hated this thing oh my god like never again and I almost felt strange saying this back then, um, but I'm more comfortable saying it now. It's like, well, I actually kind of reflected on that, that, you know, that two month stretch of grinding as kind of rewarding in a way. It was, it was challenging work. It's like type two fun, right? In the moment when you're studying certain things, it may not be as exciting and you want to, you'd rather, you know, go hang out with your friends or whatever, but the discipline it teaches you, like the, the way, like the things that you learn in the process about your own systems, the, the things you learn about the human body, most importantly, I mean, it's, it's, it can be a very positive thing. It just depends on how you frame it. So I'm not sure how much of that translates to the GRE because my understanding of the GRE doesn't really include much human anatomy or biological processes or things like that. But there's, there's always a way, no matter what test you're studying for, no matter what thing you're working towards, to either hate the process and, and be miserable or to enjoy the process more and be happy at the end. Yeah, and a lot of students who listen are also pre-PT students, and they're like, oh man, I am feeling that right now. I'm hating studying for the GRE. This is not applicable to what I'll be doing. But the thing that they do learn is how to study, because they have to review all the things that they haven't looked at in the last like four years of their life. Um, that may seem very useless. and may very well be kind of useless, but you know what? You're learning what works for you. And Yeah, learning how to learn is like the ultimate, like meta-learning is one of the most compounding skills you can learn because if you learn how to learn then anything you want to learn in the future instantly becomes so much easier so focusing on that alone i mean if i did that back in college or in high school or whatever i would just it would have been such an easier road agreed i hated every moment of studying for the gre <laughs> but you know what if i had you know nobody really looks at that side of it or at least the people that I was surrounded by back then didn't really look at that side of it. They didn't say like, oh, this is a good learning experience for you. <laughs> Never heard that. <laughs> yeah, if you say that to like college students, you'll get strange looks. And that's why I was, I was like never comfortable really saying to my roommates, like I kind of liked it. I kind of had like sheeps of like, ah, ah, yeah, I'm glad it's over. But I mean, it wasn't that bad, was it? But in reality, I was like, that was actually kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's a grind and sometimes you need to go through that and just to see what you're capable of and and you know you come out at the end you pass it and then you're like all right well I got one big exam down now it's just you know three or four years later that then you have to take another exam or um like med school so you take the um the step one is it in your Actually, when do you take the step one? Let me just ask you that. <laughs> take step one at the end of your second year. Take okay. step two, CK, usually at the end of your third. And then step three is during your first year of residency. Okay, got There's it. There's a total of three steps. And after that, you get, you know, you finish, you get your board, or sorry, you get your license. 
Gotcha. I yeah. I like that process. You know, that'd be cool if we had, because Gabby's program is a little bit different than my program um, because you have a comprehensive exam at the end of each year to prepare you for the NPTE that you have to take after you graduate in order to become a physical therapist, like a practicing clinician. But a lot of schools don't do that. My school doesn't do that. And it's just really difficult if you're not preparing day after day and like enjoying the journey um, then it's really tough to go into the NPTE, which is like a five-hour exam that you got to pass and you only get four tries. What is the, what are the recommended ways of studying for the NPTE? Uh, or what was the, the kind of the go-to common knowledge that most people use to get good scores? Listen to our last, everyone listening, go back to Kyle Rice. Yes. <laughs> Kyle Rice is the NPTE coach and he got a perfect on the NPTE. And um, basically, having one question a day is super helpful. PT365 is the app that has one question a day. Um, and then he's got a bunch of videos as well. Kyle Rice has like videos he does with questions and like going through the process of figuring out the answer to the questions. And yeah, Gabby, what else would you add to that? Yeah, I would say all those things. And with Kyle Rice specifically, he learned, he studied how to take standardized exams because. Um, you can look back at the episode, but he took the MCAT, I want to say five or six times and never got the score that he wanted to. And so, um, it wasn't until later that he was like, okay, I need to study how, uh, standardized exams are, um, how the questions are asked. And so he just dove himself into that. And that's how he got the perfect, perfect score on a, um, on a, on the NPTE. Exactly. Yeah, on the NPTE. He, his story is insane. He got into med school a semester after he started PT school, after he decided to change, but he kept with PT. Nice. Yeah. It was... So, so I think there's like some commonalities because what works, what works is just works regardless of what the test is. So for, um, for standardized tests such as the NPTE, which I know nothing about, um, but also the MCAT and step one, I would argue that the most effective ways to study would be number one, doing practice problems and doing that properly. So, you know, not just blindly doing them, getting things wrong and then going to the next, but understanding why you got it wrong, reading up on the things you don't know in the question, et cetera. So doing practice problems properly. And then also for content review, if you have a lot of memorization, some, some tests do, some tests don't. If memorization is key, then space repetition in the form of flashcards is also going to be very effective. But the kind of the foundational component to get a good score on any of these standardized tests is doing an adequate number of practice problems. And in fact, even when you look at the research, at least for step one, and again, I'd argue for just about any standardized test, the, there's a strong correlation between the number of practice problems you do and your ultimate test score. So I don't want people to focus too much on the number that they're doing because again, the quality and how you do it is also very, very important. But essentially, if you focus more time and energy on practice problems, actually applying the information, that's actually a very effective way to also learn it. People often think that you need to read all these textbooks and then closer to the test, then you start doing the practice problems to apply the knowledge. That's a huge, that's a huge mistake. You should try to do practice problems as early as possible. And that's the number one mistake anyone going for a standardized test makes, you know, and the professors, professors have your best, you know, they have you, your best intentions for you, but um, a lot of them will tell you, oh, you don't have to worry about that until three months before you're going to take it. 
And that's very false. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very false. Just want to point that out. But this is our last question that we normally ask all our guests. And we're going to word it a little differently for you since you're not a physical therapist or, you know, you haven't gone through that. Um, what advice would you have for graduate students in the health professions going through school right now? That's a good question. Um, I'd say it's kind of like a summary of, of different ideas. Um, I think your mindset is one of the most core foundational concepts that's going to be more impactful in your ultimate trajectory and your long-term success and happiness than anything else. So one quote that I heard, I forget where I heard this. Um, it's don't believe everything you think or have strong beliefs weakly held. Um, kind of two takes on a similar, similar idea. And the key thing is we often think we know more than we really do. And we accept certain facts or certain things as facts, even though they aren't really facts. And when it comes to studying and getting good grades, that's, that's a huge example. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily, what they think is true when it comes to studying and getting good grades is not the actual truth. Um, so what I would recommend is, is having this mindset where you can grow. You're not fixed at getting the same grade that you've, if you're bad at math, I'm always going to be bad at math. That's not the case. It's a matter of how you're approaching it. So if you have a growth mindset, if you have a, a mindset of always trying to improve, always trying to do better than, than what you were doing yesterday, I think you'll end up where you need to be. And I think everything will work out. You hit it right there. And that is key. Like mindset, we talk about that so much. And it is like having that growth mindset, I mean, is it's key. Um, And we can't say that enough because your mindset is really going to be the, I would say one of, if not the predictor of how you're going to do in school. And if you have a poor mindset and very negative, then that's going to correlate in all aspects of your life, your relationships, your exam grades, how you perceive your knowledge and treating patients in the future. And so really learning what will make you the best um, physician, will make you the best doctor, like those are the key things. And sorry, I just said key like three times. (laughs) But those are the things that mindset is, is it. So that was like a mic drop for real. (laughs) Mic drop moment. (laughs) Well, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that it's, it's a little different for us to have someone who's not, you know, in the physical therapy world, but it's so beneficial for everyone listening to hear from somebody who went through med school and just to hear a different perspective. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. And to your viewers, I'm just going to say we've, we've, we've talked a lot about study strategies and, and habits and things like that. Um, my, my YouTube channel is primarily focused on pre-meds and med students. However, I do get countless comments from, you know, engineers and, and other like nursing students and, and even PT students saying that the study strategies do help them. So um, try it out, see if it helps. Like I have a playlist just about study strategies. So try it out. Maybe it'll help. If not, I mean, just constantly be trying to find different ways of approaching studying and efficiency and productivity. And whether my stuff helps you or someone else's, it's just a matter of you 
not settling for what you have right now and always trying to do better. That was it. If you guys haven't heard, if you didn't hear that, you're driving, you kind of zoned out for a minute, just hit the rewind button a little bit. Hit the <laughs> 15 seconds back like three times and listen to that again. For sure. But thank you so much for coming on. And I know so many people are going to benefit from this episode and be reaching out to you. Uh, so I know we talked about your platforms. So if you want to just say again, um, you know, where you're at on social media, are you on all the platforms? <laughs> I'm on all the platforms. You can just search Med School Insiders or my name, Kevin Jubal, MD, and you'll find it. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.